This is More Than Therapy Podcast. More Than Therapy. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Modern Therapy. Today we have Daniela Marchick, who is a licensed therapist who has the key to working with caregivers, those who take care of their loved ones when their loved ones get to a point where they can no longer appropriately take care of their needs, or at least not appropriately. Caretakers are a very important part of someone's life, especially in the end stages of life, or if they have a debilitating disease, which makes it more difficult for them to take care of themselves appropriately. But caretakers often, often tend to burn out and tend to be, and and many times can do more damage than good at certain stages of the caretaking process because they didn't appropriately address their needs in the process. Daniela, please tell us more about, you know, your work in regards to helping caretakers do better jobs and taking care of themselves because love is love and they want to be the best them they can be oftentimes losing the ability to do so because wellness has slipped away from themselves themselves that's right felipe thank you for really highlighting that that the importance of taking care of oneself as a caregiver because your loved one is dependent on you. And truthfully, the reason why people step into this caregiving role most of the time is out of love, whether that is for an adult parent or a spouse. And sometimes it can be out of obligation because family dynamics are real. But Um, Most caregivers are unpaid and dedicate on average um, up to five years of, of, of being in the role of caregiving. And so I find it really important that they take care of themselves. And the reason that is so is because it's a marathon. Five years is a long time. And so if you burn out physically, emotionally, mentally, then your whole point of doing this, of being there for your loved one is no longer available. And really the caregivers are the uh, invisible web in our society, in all of our societies that honor our elders by really being with them and shepherding them towards the end of their lives. So that is why I, as a therapist, have been concentrating on working with caregivers. Uh, Before I went back and got my master's, I was working in climate science and um, became a fundraiser for a uh, local uh, assisted living in Portland, Oregon. And then I I switched my role to work directly with the elders who were there. Mm -hmm. And I was in... um, One day I had an elder come in with dementia and her daughter had gotten mad at her earlier in the morning. Nothing huge, but they had some sort of natural emotional frustration, probably because they were rushed and the individual with dementia has a different relationship with time. And so I took her aside. We did some coping skills. We took some deep breaths together, tried to help her calm down to bring her back into the activities. But throughout the day, she kept returning to the fact that my my daughter's mad at me and I don't know why. So it, it really stuck to me that 
this individual, um, I'll change her name, but her, I will call her Sharon for now, um, did not remember the content of why her daughter was mad at her, but remembered the emotion, right? And so I then thought about, okay, well, how important is it for these lovely humans who are caring for their spouses and their and their parents to understand that the way that they express themselves still sticks with individuals, even if they can't remember the content. And so caregiving is so demanding. The list of to-dos is forever trying to navigate the medical system, trying to make sure your loved one's fed and bathed and entertained. And 61% of people are also working full-time at the same time. So, um, it's really difficult to maintain some space for yourself. And so yet it's so important. So that is how I got into this work. And then I went and back and got more education. Um, and I have then since worked with caregivers in private practice for the last five years and learned a lot. My mom, <clears throat> she was a caretaker for my grandmother for couple of years, but like, like you said, you know, um, it becomes difficult, especially when you're a working person. Um, my mom, she wanted to be there for her mom because she felt that she could give her better care, eat, you know, cook the foods that she would like, give her the cultural support, you know, of her past playing music that she enjoyed because, you know, music is one of the key things regarding people with the onset of dementia in regards to helping them calibrate to some degree. Yes. Until the point where she just couldn't do it anymore. It was impacting Mm. her health, impacting her mental health. And then she transitioned her to an assisted living facility in which at that time, then my grandmother started to really decompensate in that particular type of environment because it was not suitable in many ways to her culture, to her understanding of what was going on around her because her dementia had progressed to such a point that if it wasn't naturally familiar to her, something new would definitely do more damage as it did. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm, I thank your mom for showing up and trying to, to honor your, her mom's culture, to share that dedicated love. And as, as you said, it becomes so much that it's hard to keep up with. And, and there's some real realities around the cultural differences that each one of us have in, in our lives and how that progresses throughout the role of caregiving. As you can imagine, some, for example, some of the Eastern cultures that are very collective and that live with, with multi-generations, the role of caregiving is very much um, embraced in the fabric in a different way. Yet there's some discussion about do we hide what's happening so that we have a public face? And then some of the Western cultures worry are so independent and so busy that there is sometimes this um, cultural narrative that putting them into a place like an assisted living is inevitable, which for some people it is. And it's really each family is different and especially with dementia they say with one you see one case of dementia you know one case of dementia even though there are some real distinct similarities but because our brain chemistry is so different in the way that the brain is impacted in the way it's shrinking and also with a 
with the different um, inflammation at the same time. I know it's crazy shrinking and inflaming, but that is what's happening. Um, it, it, it appears differently for each individual. And, you know, the cultural differences is important because also access to the community resources really depends on our cultural environments. And unfortunately, in the United States, you know, our medical system and many other systems has a history of really, how do I say this in a gentle way, taking advantage of the global majority, if not some versions of abuse, honestly. So there's different levels of trust to be able to turn to these resources. But if you're taking care of a loved one with a dementia or an Alzheimer's, it's also a 24 hour job. Sometimes these folks get to a place where they're not safe to be alone because they don't remember to turn on or off the stove or there's a dementia shuffle. So they may fall. And so you need someone there 24 hours. So it really can be a predicament, not to mention the financial <laughs> barriers as well. Right, to, right. And that, to that comes to an excellent point. What are some things to consider before becoming a parent's caregiver? Yeah, thank you. And and I, I, I really believe that this is a place that each individual, if they can find a space to really, or a therapist to work with about what are my boundaries? And there's a real big difference about what is the cultural expectation? What is the family expectation? What is, for example, my mom's expectation versus what is my reality? Like, am I also a parent myself? Am I juggling multiple jobs? Do I have my own physical and mental health concerns that take up um, time and space? And so, things to consider is, are those like, like, instead of what are the expectation, what is my truth? What is going to allow me to keep myself safe and sane throughout this? How do I make sure to take care of my health um, while I care for my loved one? And um, it's really important to also think about the long picture and have these conversations with your family early of, at what point would it make sense for us to bring in more professional help or potentially move to a, a community with more support? So, um, yeah, that is why I believe strongly in support groups. Um, I know that, for example, the Alzheimer's Association, the Heart Association, um, many of the other major diagnoses have support groups where you're with other people who are in the same caregiving role for someone with a similar diagnosis. And it's like a hive mind. So you can understand um, some of the available resources out there, what's happening in the community, um, tactics that people have tried. But often these support groups are really focused on solutions for the care recipient. And so that is why I, as a mental health therapist, is really I'm trying to really step in and make sure that our care partners, these caregivers, have a space that is focused on their needs. And so that is becoming more and more common and more so of how do you prevent burnout or how do you make sure the finances are in order or how do you physically lift someone so you don't care for your, you don't hurt your own self. And I'm so grateful for those resources, but very little is concentrating on the reality of the emotional experience that caregiving is because really you're witnessing suffering. You're, you're, you're also brushing up against 
mortality in a way that many people haven't in the past. And it's only natural to think about, well, if this is happening for my mom, it, does that mean it's going to be happening for me? And naturally, a lot of emotions come with that sadness, fear, resentment. And so I have created this program for under the support of caregivers that is a six-week program where we learn about um, each one of these emotions within a group of people so we can form this community that sticks together and supports each other as we learn and address the anger issues and grief and fear and not only do we learn about our own experiences, we'll come out with um, some set things to do in the moment. So if fear shows up, that you can take a moment, recalibrate, ground yourself, do the caregiving task, and then create a space for you later when you have a moment to really address those fears and be with them so that it doesn't impact your availability to be the type of caregiver you want because most people really are caregiving out of love and the ideal way to do that is to the ability to stay calm to stay connected with your loved one stay connected with yourself and your values and compassion for both yourself and the person you're caring for and so this program teaches all of that so that you that the wonderful caregivers can be out in the world. And for me, it's the way to honor my elders is by helping these caregivers be able to navigate some of the trickiest part of life. Yeah. Not only am I so passionate of, about helping these caregivers, I'm also really passionate about making sure that my fellow helpers and healers out there, um, whether that's therapists or death doulas or coaches, um, medical social workers, anyone who's interfacing with our elders, um, or their caregivers also have a deeper understanding of what the caregiver path is like. So a colleague of mine, another professional therapist, created an eight-stage developmental um, stage model in which um, we talk about the common experiences that the pre-caregiving stage where often people are just slowly doing more tasks for their loved ones. They're not thinking too much of it. And then all of a sudden there's a turning point. So a fall happens, a medical diagnosis occurs, and all of a sudden the reality is, oh, we're here. We're at this time where the caregiving needs are needed. And so there's a lot of an emotional process and also learning about how to navigate that. And um, so we are re we have created a course called Counseling uh, for Competency, Counseling Competency in, um, in Elder Caregiving. Excuse me, choking on my words here. Um, and that is for professionals being taught live in Portland in October and online as well. And because... Because the truth is the amount of people who are stepping into this need, it's called the silver tsunami out there. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, Philippe, this term. No, tell me more about that. 
Yeah. So the silver tsunami is the fact that the boomers are aging. And so they are having more silver hair and the, and the needs are just growing and the amount of caregivers is going. So we currently have 54 million adults in the United States taking care of someone who is 50 and older. And that is going to is going to grow 25% within the next 10 years. And um, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And scary considering the state of America today. It's, um, mm -hmm. thank you for naming that. It is yeah. really nerve wracking. And that so. is why I want more of the people who have hands on near them to have an understanding of what it means to be a caregiver, the emotional yeah. experience, the time it takes, the, um, yeah, because it takes a village. It really truly does. And, um, what are, what are some things to consider before becoming a parent's caregiver? I ask because mentally, spiritually, physically. That's right. <laughs> I don't think I would be in a place to take care of my mom if she fell ill. I'm very fortunate that she's married to a lovely man that I believe will take on that responsibility. My sister, she's a very natural caregiver, but then my sister has her own situation in which she might not be able to do it. That responsibility might fall on her eldest child, which is me. Mm -hmm. What things should I consider be before becoming her caregiver if that even comes into play? Are there other options? That's one thing to consider. Yeah, I'm sure there would be, but like we're, we're very, our culture really wants it, us to take care of each other mm -hmm. versus, you know, a, a, a facility or an agency which might not right. do appropriately care. On my caseload, I have a number of um, people who work in medical facilities, assisted living facilities, clients yep. of mine, and they tell me, crazy stories about what goes on in there that just makes me like Ugh, that would not be an option for my me nor my loved ones that's right that's right and they're understaffed yeah. <laughs> most of these care facilities unfortunately the way our system is set up we are not paying them for the amount of work that they are doing and um, the quality of care in some places are, is phenomenal and some of it not as much. And as you can imagine, COVID has also impacted all of this because some people, COVID ran rampant in these different communities of living. And so some people took their families out and brought them home. Um, well, a big thing to consider is, is what the disease prognosis is. So if it is, if you're fortunate enough and your parent is aging in, in a sort of traditional way, then they are going to be able to remain independent for quite a bit. And you may just have to help take on some of the financial pieces or doing some heavy lifting around the house, etc. But if they live well into their 90s, you, one is going to need more support, whether that is from a living caregiver or just some oversight to make sure that, that the, the refrigerator is being cleaned out and they're not eating something that is moldy. Um, if they end up with a disease such as a diabetes or a dementia, 
in which it progresses in a way that they need help feeding themselves or bathing, then you really need to sit and consider and do some of the emotional spiritual work around what can I do? What am I willing to prioritize in my life? Is it important for me to be with my mother, for example, as you said, um, in these last stages? And if so, how can I navigate that um, physically, emotionally? Um, the real one big important thing is that everyone's grieving. The, the elder who may have gotten a big diagnosis or who is just aging and watching their community pass away around them, they're grieving. The moment that someone gets a cancer diagnosis or a, or a dementia diagnosis, they're grieving what they expected their aging years to be like, what they hoped their life to be like, and also the loss and changes of their own body. And so one thing that I find very important to discuss with together as a huge family with yourself, with a professional therapist is how do I navigate this grief? Because I'm sad and I'm scared and it's overwhelming and the truth is that in the 2020 AARP study, 51% of caregivers report having more meaning in their life by stepping into this role because you really get to be selfless and act and step into that spiritual reality of being close to death. What really matters in life at this point is it titles and things of that sort is, is a quality time. Um, and so the caregiver developmental path we put together really invites the professionals to think about the caregiving journey as an opportunity of personal growth. If we can slow down enough and really be present with the experience, work with our anxieties and our fears and the grief, so that they can be managed in some way and really be present in the experience, then really it's this deep opportunity to know yourself, to know your family member and to grow. Indeed, it's definitely, a, you have to be a strong, you have to get to be very strong mentally, spiritually in order to take on this endeavor. And as a society, I find that, you know, especially here in this part of America, we're very egocentric and selfish. It's like, oh, that's going to impact, you know, what I do or how I move or how I navigate. Right. Um, I have a lot of clients that come into practice that, you know, you know, women become the caretakers for their mothers. Yep. And then they become so overwhelmed and then they start, you know, picking up maladaptive and addictive behaviors like alcoholism. I see a high correlation between alcohol abuse and being a caretaker in a lot, in a lot of the population that I work with if that person has taken on that role because they yes. didn't appropriately address their wellness. I know you said like going to support groups is beneficial. You know, some of these mm -hmm. communities may not even be aware of some of the support groups that are in place. That's I send true. a lot of them to a, an app called in the rooms and in the rooms that was focused on narcotics anonymous and alcoholics anonymous. It has other support groups that support wellness because we know that other areas of pain can contribute to addiction, can contribute to, you know, pain in that way. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up, right? Any sort of 
coping mechanism, healthy or unhealthy, you kind of lean, you may lean into if you don't get the support that you need as a caregiver, if you don't recruit your best friend to be available for you to just rant and say, I'm so frustrated that you, you choose your one friend, right? Your one community member who knows how dedicated you are with your mom. So she's not going to question, but you can just rant. Mom's frustrating me. She yelled at me or this is so hard and blah, 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 and can hold that space for you. It's really important to set up your own team as a care, par- care partner. So it's often there's so much of the focus is on the care receiver, their medical professionals, their support system, their spiritual guidance, that a lot of energy of the care par- uh, giver is given to that. And so their own needs and their own team isn't set up. And that is part of the work that I do in the caregiver, um, the calm, compassionate connected caregiver program is really making sure that they have set up their team so that they have someone that they can turn to um, in those moments of frustration. And if we really address these sad, fearful emotions, then the need to turn to the liquor to numb them or to the food to eat it is a little bit less. Um, Anything that is sort of under lying in your own personal journey, your own mental health, your own physical health, your addiction cycles will come up to the surface because caregiving is a stressful job and, and you're doing it while you're grieving. I feel like I have, you know, some good skills as a person, you know, I'm I'm neat. Um, I, I adhere to a schedule appropriately I know how to cook. I know how to clean. I'm patient sometimes. Practice. <laughs> I try to be happy. I, I try to address my wellness appropriately. But what are some skills that would be you know, beneficial in becoming a caregiver? Because I know that even though I have this skill base, if it something happened and I had to take care of my moms today, I don't think I'd be appropriately ready to do such an endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing, thank you for asking that question. One thing that's really a practice in both accepting this as a truth and a practice in the moment is that the person you're caring for did not choose this. They're also going through this painful experience. And so especially with someone with a version of a dementia, if they're getting mad at you, it's hard not to take it personally because that's my mom. I, I love them. What they say to me is true. But with the way that the brain changes, they're not who they used to be. They're not thinking in this rational way. And so there's a real steady reminder that one needs to do with themselves daily, really, of this is the disease talking. This is not my mom expressing what she truly means. Um, So that's one thing. And deep breathing. Oh, man, it's so important to be able to stay grounded and to know what you're going to do in a moment of intensity, because moments of intensity happen. There's a fall that happens or you're in the hospital and you have to make a major decision. And so what do you as an individual do to, to calm yourself down, to give yourself permission to say to the doctor, I need 10 minutes to think about this and then take yourself on a walk 
notice the sadness, notice the fear and say, okay, all of those are present. And what is the right decision for us as a family for my mom? So it's a lot of skills around remaining calm and patient. It's a lot of naming the the underlying emotion so um, that you don't act out of um, out of emotion. You, as as a lot of us therapists say, you know, you you respond versus react. So how do you do that within the moment is really important. Skills around being organized, skills about holding boundaries with family members. Recruiting help is a big thing that we work with many caregivers on because they want to do everything they can because they love their loved ones so deeply, but it's not a single person's job. So it's figuring out how to delegate these some tasks that are that one can delegate to others for example if a sibling lives far away can they be the point of contact with the with the rest of the community and let them know about updates for your loved one as it's happening there's a lot to learn and many of us already have some of these skills but we have to think about it in a new way as as we're grieving and as our relationship is changing yeah yeah Trusting oneself, honestly, I think is a huge skill that we all can keep practicing. <laughs> <laughs> and what are some tips to take care of yourself as a caregiver? I know you said deep breathing, yeah. journaling. journaling. Journaling, absolutely mm-hmm. journaling. Yes, yeah. Going to therapy, support groups. Going to therapy and support groups. Coming Maintain- up with an action plan with your family. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Do you have any other ideas? Mm-hmm. I heard you cook. Watching, watching, um, you know, going to a training like the one you have at Supportive Caregivers would probably be what I would think would be beneficial as I learn a new skill set to address this area of this is not something we learn in school. This ain't something we learn in society. This is not even something we typically learn in therapy. Correct. It's not talked about enough, right? Because it's death and people are scared of it. And there's other hot issues that are, that are easier to teach about too, honestly, because this is so multidimensional. And thank you for mentioning that on my supportive caregiver site, I have a free webinar about guilt. I find that guilt is one of the most common emotions that caregivers come across guilty that they're not doing enough or that I'm doing too much or I'm not showing up for my kids enough or at work enough. It's really common. And, and it's a, it's a way to try to control the situation and make it about them than it is to be like, I'm really sad. I am in the process of saying goodbye to someone I care deeply about. Yeah. Um, Some other things that we know as therapists, but it's hard to sometimes prioritize because we in the caregiving role, many times we're prioritizing our loved ones needs, making sure that they're bathing and eating well and moving and going to the doctor's appointments. But it's as important to do that for ourselves. Am I making sure that I am cooking and eating things that are supportive to my immune system? Am I doing nourishing activities for myself, such as movement and stretching 
Am I prioritizing sleep, my sleep, their sleep? And it's hard to do when the to-do list caregiving is a constant to-do list. And it's not like one and done. It's a daily activities and tasks that one need to maneuver. And so also doing some work around accepting it. I'm not going to be able to do all of this. Maybe I can't clean the house as much as I used to. So the phrase bless this mess can be part of a mantra of how to, instead of making myself feel guilty that I'm not cleaning the house or have these unrealistic expectations on what I can do with the amount of time I have, can I make conscious decisions of what's really important and what can kind of be a little more messy, such as a kitchen table that has medications on it and dishes on it and things of that sort, mail. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So please, you know, leave the um, audience with some words of encouragement as we um, close out this episode of More Than Therapy podcast. And of course, you know, we want people to learn more about being a supportive caregiver by going to supportivecaregivers.com and looking at the training that they have there, which. Right. And then our, our training. All right. Well, then let's play a video while we wait for that video to kick back in. It's a real challenge because you're torn between the love you have for the person and the frustration that caregiving brings about. There are few reprieves from an all-consuming labor of love and obligation and no escape from the mixed emotions that come with it. Our afternoon stroll. Rafaela Cori has been taking care of her mother Maria since last June. A recent stroke and worsening dementia mean her mom has to live with her and can't be left alone. I'm emotionally exhausted all the time. I think depression sets in because you, you don't know what the answer is. You don't know where the end of the tunnel is. You think end of the tunnel and you think, oh my God, what am I saying here? You know, in terms of I want this to end, but I don't want it to end badly for her. Growing stress among unpaid caregivers is an alarming reality. A new Ontario study of 110,000 caregivers found a third experienced distress, anger, or depression. That rate has doubled since 2009, leaving a third of those caregivers so burned out they are unable to continue in the role. What's going on here? How could it be going up so fast? Dr. Joshua Tepper is the lead author of the report. You've got a lot more people who are needing caregivers. Those individuals who are needing it are a lot older, but also a lot sicker a lot more dementia, a lot more physical frailty, and the caregiver is just increasingly hitting the wall. Tepper says the report underscores how imminent the growing crisis is. An aging population is expected to add to the pressure on a health care system and on families who increasingly shoulder the burden of care. Corey gets some help a couple of hours a day. The rest of the time, it's just her. Worrying about, is she well? Am I doing the right thing? Uh, should I be doing more? Uh, feeling the frustration of watching her go downhill, feeling the, the uh, anxiety of, of her getting worse. And then the whole mortality thing is in your face all the time. Her mortality, and then it brings up, oh my God, what's going to happen to me someday? That struggle is usually private. 
but the devotion behind it was on display this evening. Corey's among the many at an event honoring caregivers and the burden they so often carry alone. Joanna Rumeliotis, CBC News, Toronto. In that episode, this is the episode with Daniela Marchik regarding caring for caretakers. Please go to her website, supportivecaregivers.com. That's supportivecaregivers.com to learn more about her and her movement regarding caregivers, getting the support they need to do what they do regarding their family and their loved ones. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the More Than Therapy podcast featuring interviews and thoughts of the day regarding wellness, recovery, and things of that nature. You can listen to More Than Therapy any place where you push play to listen or play to listen to or watch your favorite podcast. That's More Than Therapy podcast. Be well and be great. I thrive. I thrive to be alive. I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to be healthier. I want to be around for my children to graduate, have children, and have their children have children. I want to be free from the disease of high blood pressure and diabetes. I thrive to be alive. I thrive to be